Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Today, our theme is looking at how God's grace crushes our judgment. And what we see in selected verses from Luke chapter 15 is one of the most famous, most well-known of Jesus' parables or, or narrative teachings. And here he illustrates for us what his grace looks like. This is Luke chapter 15, the story of the prodigal son. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So, He divided up his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will go out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, 
All these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O God. You may be seated. Gravity is everywhere, and gravity affects everyone. No one is exempt, and there is nowhere that you can go on planet Earth where you can get away from gravity. Probably know all this, but what would be fun to maybe get away from gravity, like float or maybe even fly, it's not going to happen. Even if you jump or even if you take a jet, Eventually, gravity will win. You know about gravity. Maybe, maybe you even studied it in school, right? We have Isaac Newton's laws of gravity, and we have his formula that, that helps us make this, this concept, this theory, really concrete for us to understand, right? But do you understand completely all the ways that this ever-present force in our lives really, really affects every part of our lives. Did you know that there's people, there's there's really smart people who, who study this stuff for a living and actually they don't even understand it. They they keep posing new theories that that actually have us help out with having us have a more nuanced understanding of, of gravity and And what it does, there's always more to know about gravity. And that way, gravity is like grace. Grace is everywhere. Grace affects everyone. There's no one who is exempt, and There's nowhere in all the universe that you can go to escape God's grace. It might be fun, fun for you to maybe get away from God's grace for a while. But no matter what, grace always wins. And just like studying gravity in school, we, we've studied grace here in church, right? And to help us understand it, we often, we often pose really helpful definitions of grace. We, we call it God's undeserved or unconditional love. We give it cute acronyms or acrostic, like God's riches at Christ's expense. We, we define it really carefully so we understand it and we know it. We say this is, this is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserved individual from an unobligated giver. But did you know that there's 
really smart people, just like you, who have heard about grace, who, who think about grace, and yet they don't understand all of the ways that this ever-present force of God's grace really affects every aspect of their lives. Point being that there's always more to understand about God's grace. And here's what your God does for you in his word. He doesn't define it. He doesn't give you a formula for it or he doesn't analyze it or dissect it so you, so you get it. What God does is demonstrate it. He shows it to us. He shows it to us. And, and what you just heard in Luke chapter 15 was a chapter where, where Jesus is teaching those gathered around him what grace looks like. He actually had other parables or stories that he used to teach it. But here in the middle of Luke chapter 15, he has one of the most prominent, one of the most geniusly crafted stories that, that helps people know what God's grace is by simply showing God's grace. So you see it, you know it, you know what it does, and, and more than that, you feel it. So what we're going to do today we're going to look at the story of the prodigal son, the lost son, and we're going to look at it in parts, in acts or scenes, if you want to think it that way, as, as Jesus, what he does is show us in each part just how amazing God's grace is. But speaking of gravity, I, I need to warn you, there's some weight to this story. Because more than just tell us about how amazing God's grace is, he also warns us what happens when we abuse it, confuse it, or resent it. This is the prodigal son. We start with Acts chapter 1, not Acts, Luke chapter 15, but Act chapter 1, where we look at this idea that, that grace is abused. Here's how the story started out. There's a family there was a dad and, and two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. This isn't that strange. You understand this historically, you understand this culturally, that this, this wealthy man must have owned a lot of stuff, and, and wealth was tied up in, in land and livestock and, and fields. And so it wasn't crazy that a younger son of two would come and, and would come to expect some of this to be his. Here's what was very crazy. When he asked for it, his father was alive and well, and yet his father, he comes to his father and he says, hey, that inheritance that I'm, I'm supposed to get when you die, I want it now. Essentially, this was a death wish. Essentially, this was saying to his dad, Dad, I want your stuff, not you. I don't want to have a relationship with you, but I, I want to have all your money. This was, this was scandalous. And yet, it gets even more scandalous because after he gets it, he goes off and he spends it all. He goes off, first of all, to be anonymous, to be away from everybody that knows him so he can live the wild life, and he squanders all of it. 
the question that act one forces us to ask is, do you see yourself here? God has literally given you everything. He has given you his riches at Christ's expense. But do you have more desire to live independently, anonymously, and do your own thing? But at the same time, want all of the good stuff that God gives, his hope, his peace, his confidence, the blessings that he gives with friends and family. You, you just want it not quite next to him. You think about the fact that in Christ, God has poured out on you his lavish riches, full forgiveness, an eternity in heaven as your inheritance. Do you want to have some fun first? I think if we're being honest, we can all see ourselves in this parable, see ourselves as as people who abuse God's grace. Do you see yourself here? But here's a better question. Do you see the Father here? Did you see the father? (laughs) The son comes to him and and asks this scandalous request for his inheritance, and he gives it to him. He just gives it all to him. No conditions, no questions asked. This is grace. The father gives him his love, his inheritance, his riches, with no strings attached, no questions asked. Just go, have it, because I love you. You are my son. Here, it is yours. And think about this. Think about what the father was giving up. He was giving up his land, his livestock, his, his, his crops. He was giving up, because of all of that, his standing in the community. He was giving up his right to be offended. He was giving it all up for the sake of his son. You want to know what God's grace is and what it looks like? This is the picture of God's grace. It comes to you, and what God's grace does is it crushes our judgment. It crushes our judgment of God. We think of God as, oh, mean, demanding God who who only loves us if we, you know, do this or that. No, here is your God. He is a God of grace. He is a God who gives. He is a God who loves you without condition. God's grace crushes our judgment of God. But God's grace is deeper than that. Here's act two as we look at grace confused. Here's what happens as the story goes on. The young son, he hits rock bottom. He is homeless, penniless, and jobless. So he goes to look for a job, and he he can't even get a minimum wage job, so he goes to feed animals. He goes to feed pigs. There is nothing worse for a Jewish boy than to go and feed pigs, and yet it does get worse because he can't even afford to eat. There is no one who helps him. That's when it clicks. He has, a, he has an idea. He comes to his senses. 
Sounds really new agey, but that's what Jesus says. He, he comes to his sentence. He, he wakes up and he goes, what am I doing here? I don't have anyone to blame but myself. I come from a wealthy family where my dad's servants don't even live like this. Here's the plan. I'm going to go home. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to admit that I messed it all up, but I'm going to ask dad if I can not be called his son anymore. I'm not worthy for that, but if I can work for him and, and earn it all back, make it up. Leave, get to live. You see the problem here, don't you? This is a confused understanding of grace. It's ironic that he has come to his senses because he doesn't get it. This isn't how it works. God, the Father, has given him everything. He can't earn it back. He at least gave him a half, maybe a third of everything he owned, working as a servant his entire life. He's not going to make that up. He's confused if he thinks that's going to work. Secondly, he thinks he's worthy that this is going to, this is going to win his dad back. No, he, he had love from his dad before and had nothing to do with his worthiness. He showed his true stripes. And he thinks now, after he did all of that, that this is what's going to make him worthy? This is grace confused. Ask it again. Do you see yourself here? God has forgiven all of your sins. He has proclaimed the message of his forgiveness to you. God did it all. He already died on the cross. He already rose again. He already ascended on high for you. But you think, I get it. You know what? I'm sorry, God. I I know I messed up, but I'll, I'll try harder. I'm going to work harder now. So you love me. You know that that Jesus has, has done it. There is nothing required of you. But because you feel bad, you think, yeah, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to apologize. I'm going to confess my sins and, and I'm going to be really sorry for it, but I'm not going to like show that. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to live a really pious life. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give to church. I am going to give my time and my money to church. And then God will see that I am a pretty, pretty worthy person to be a part of this tribe. This is grace confused. This is not how grace works. You see yourself here. The important question is, do you see the main character here? The main character in this story is not the son. The main character in this story is the father. And you can picture him. You can picture this father. Every day he goes to the mailbox and and checks to see if he wrote a letter to him. And he doesn't hear anything from his grace abuser and confuser son. But he loves him. And so he lingers He looks down the road to see if if maybe today he's going to come home or at least write. But then one day, 
One day he turns and he sees him. And while he is still a long way off, this old man undignifies himself and he runs after him and he throws himself around his son who was just wallowing around with pigs. Let me explain that just for a second. In my family, we give hugs and we give this thing called family hugs. It's just a group hug, okay? But you wanna know when dad does not get a group hug or a family hug, it's when I come home from a run and I'm sweaty and stinky. No one wants to be around me then. But this guy, when his son was wallowing in pig stuff, comes running to him and throws himself around his neck, grabs hold of him, and then he kisses him. You're starting to get the picture of what grace looks like. But the son, he, he's, he's got his speech, his plan, well prepared. He starts to go into it, but then the father stops him. He puts his arm around him and he says, shh, shh, shh. And he looks at his servants and he says, go, run, get it for him. Get the best robe, get the best ring for him. Because you see, he doesn't just welcome him, him home. He gives him gifts upon gifts and more gifts, sandals for his feet, clothes, a ring, and the best clothes and the best of everything he has. And he says, we're going to kill the best fatted calf that we have, and we are going to celebrate. We are going to have a party. Do you see the father here? Friends, this is seeing grace. What God's grace does is it crushes our judgment of not just God, but our judgment of ourselves when we think our worth is somehow tied to what we do to him. God's word, his grace crushes that. And he shows you that, yes, for all of the times that we not only wallow in our stink and our sin, but think somehow we're going to make it up to God. He comes along and he says, no, no, no. (laughs) I'm not even going to let you try that. I am just going to give you my grace. And and you want to picture grace? Here's what it looks like. It is a bear hug that God will not let you go from. It is gifts given to you, and it is a feast celebrated for you on your behalf. It is your Father rejoicing over you because you are home. This is God's grace. Now, there's three acts to this, and, and this one is maybe requires a little bit of setup because I should have said it before, maybe, maybe, maybe you did and you caught it, that there's no one who understands grace completely. There's no person that understands grace completely, and the reason for that is because there's nothing more foreign to the way we think. To help explain that a little bit, this is, this is a quote that I, I've shared with some of you before, but it's by a Christian author and pastor named Paul Zoll. And, and what he does in this is really help us understand the irrational nature of grace. He wrote this, he said, grace is irrational in the sense that it has nothing to do with weights and measures. Grace, in other words, doesn't make demands. It just gives. And from our advantage, our vantage point, it always gives to the wrong person. We see this over and over again in the Gospels. Jesus is always giving to the wrong people, prostitutes, tax collectors. The most extravagant sinners of Jesus' day receive his most compassionate welcome. 
Grace is a divine vulgarity that stands caution on his head. It refuses to play it safe and lay it up. Grace is recklessly generous, uncomfortably promiscuous. Grace refuses to be controlled by our innate sense of fairness, reciprocity, and even-handedness. Grace defies logic. So here's the question that Act 3 asks us to wrestle with. If, If grace defies logic, how do you understand it? How do you, church-going, Jesus-loving, time-giving, offerings-giving people, Christians, understand the nature of grace? Act three, we're calling grace resented. And the reason why we're calling it grace resented is because of the older brother. The older brother gets done with a long day of work. He comes home and he, and he smells something smoking on the grill. He hears music and laughter. But it doesn't make him happy. Because what's going on? Who's having a party without me? He asks one of his servants, and you can tell by the response, the servant knows what's coming. He says, hey, your brother, he's back home safe and sound. And what does he do? He goes out and pouts. He votes with his feet that this is not cool, that dad is throwing a party for him. And he sits outside with anger seizing through him. And what else does he do? He doesn't just do that. He sits there and pouts until his daddy comes out to comfort him. This is the equivalent of, I like comparing it to this, that you go to your your brother or your sister or your best friend's wedding. And instead of just not going because you don't like them having all the attention on this day, you go outside and you start to loudly whine about it and post your resume. And this is what he does. He says that this is everything that I've ever done for you. I've always been here. I've always listened to you. I've always been for you. He goes, so far as to saying this, I've been slaving for you. This isn't fair. This is grace resented. You see what the son is doing. Whereas the younger son wanted to have the father's stuff, but not the father. Oh, the older son is is basically doing the same thing, just the other side of the coin. He wanted to have the father's stuff But he didn't want to have a relationship with the father. He wanted to control him so that he gives him whatever he wants. You know where this is going. You know where I'm going with this. And I'm going to ask the same question for the third time. But before I do, and I ask you, if you can see yourself here, let me say, Two things. The first is that there is perhaps no more applicable point for, for the choir, for those who are, who are gathered here. And second, there, there's this irony to this story that we have to catch. The, the son, the younger son, he recognized, he was fully aware of his problem. It was painfully obvious that he was distant 
from the father. The sad thing about the elder brother, he doesn't even know. He doesn't even see it, that even though he's in his house, his heart is far from the father. So it's worth asking, do you see yourself here? Do you, do you see yourself in the elder brother? One way to think about it might, might be this, that you, you look at your life and you look at all of that you've done and all that you do, all that you do as a wonderful fruit of faith to your God and ask yourself, after all of the giving and attendance and loving and serving and being here, what happens when life doesn't go your way? When life doesn't go your way, Do you get angry at God that he's not answering your prayers, that he's not doing it on your timeline, that he's not giving you the thing that you have prayed for? Do you resent him and his grace? Another way to to ask if if you see yourself here might, might be to this. Picture someone else. Imagine someone who lives a very different life than you. Someone who struggles with different sins than you. Someone who struggles with those sins that you would never do. Someone who has a completely different worldview than you. Someone who has a completely different value set than you do. And ask yourself, Do you relish the opportunity to wrap your arms around them and hug them? You kind of resent them. You kind of think you're better than them. Do you kind of think that they're missing it and you're getting it? Ask yourself, do you see the elder brother in yourself. Because this, this is grace resented. But you know where I'm going with this. Ask yourself the better question. Did you see the father? Did you see how he even treated the older brother? He doesn't put him on blast. He doesn't publicly shame him and say, someone go outside and get that whining, complaining older son. No, 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 no. You know what he does? He goes out and sits by him. He puts his arm around him and he says, what? You fool. No, he says, my son. This is what he calls you. He calls you my daughter, my son. And then he reminds you of of a truth we, we could have spent the entire time contemplating, that you have everything in him. It's all yours. Everything that is God's is yours. And you're with him. You're here. You're abiding with him. And he just shows you that that this is grace. This is what grace looks like. Grace crushes our judgment of others because grace reminds us of everything that we have in God the Father through his Son. All of it is yours. And guess what? It will always be yours as long as you're here with him. He only points out that, guy, it's, it's a matter of timing. 
We just, we just had to celebrate your son because he just got home. We had to do it. You must celebrate this. There's much rejoicing in heaven when this takes place. This is what grace looks like. And God wants you to see it. God wants you to know it. We don't talk about feelings too much, but he wants you to feel his grace for you. This is how it ends. This is how the story ends. We don't know if the older son goes in or, or not. This is how the story ends, but this is not how the sermon ends for two reasons. One, this past Thursday at men's group, the men were talking about how they, how they pretty much figured out that I often have three points in the sermon, so I thought I'd show them today and not stop at three, but have a fourth. I'm just kidding. I already had four planned out before then. But here's the real reason is because there is a fourth act here. There's, there's actually a third son in the story. You saw him, didn't you? I'm talking about Jesus. And we're calling the third act grace given. Because here's what's going on in this story. Do not forget it. Jesus, at the very beginning of this story, is speaking to people. People to whom he wants just not to know their grace or understand it conceptually. He is talking to people to whom he wants to give his grace to. The point of his story is that he wants all the kids inside the party. And he's talking to both kinds of kids. He's talking to the sinners and to the saints. He's talking to the Pharisees and the tax collectors and to the tax collectors. And he wants them all in. He wants the older brothers and the younger brothers. And he wants them to be in his home. And so he speaks to them. He tells them a story, a narrative, a parable. And when Jesus tells stories, it's not just to tell cute, well-thought-through stories. When Jesus speaks his words, it is to give you something. He wants to give you his grace. And that is what he's doing in this story. It is this meta story on top of the parable story in which he's showing you, this is what my father and I are about. We give grace, and then we give more grace, and we give it to all sorts of people because there is no one who is exempt from this grace. And there is nowhere in all the world that you're going to go where I'm not going to come after you to give you this grace. The story is popularly referred to as the prodigal son. Maybe in newer Bible translations, it puts a different heading on it and it calls it the lost son. And that's a good idea because it's helping people understand that word prodigal that that not many people understand what it means. Prodigal does not mean lost. It doesn't mean wayward. What prodigal means is spendthrift. It It means reckless. It means thoughtless. It means irrational. That's what prodigal means. And and the younger son was certainly that when he took his dad's credit card and blew it all. But do you see the main character of this story? I want you to see it. It is not the son, either of them. 
It is the father. The main character of this story is a prodigal, a reckless God, a reckless father who spends his grace over and over and over again with no strings attached, with no questions asked. He gives it again and again to you. It is the father who is the son, who together is one, who did not just let you go off to a foreign country and sit there and wait for you to come home, but he ran after you. He left heaven and came to earth to bring you back to him. This is what grace looks like. It is the Father and the Son through whom they give you everything, clothing you with the royal robes of righteousness, putting on your feet the readiness that comes with the gospel and giving it to you again and again and again and giving it to you even when it means he has to give himself up for you not just the shirt off his back, but his life for you. This is what grace looks like. And it is seen no clearer than in this story. And it is seen no better than in this son, the third son, who is your savior. And he wants to know he is about giving it away. And he wants you to understand it. So you give it away too. Amen.